Well, our sermon text, as I mentioned for today, is Psalm 40. Let us now give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, and who does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare them and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. But be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Well, the grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, this morning, as we come to Psalm 40, I want to begin with some big picture reflections upon the Psalter as a whole, 
Psalter just refers to the entire 150 psalms. And then we're going to begin to narrow in on a few very significant questions in order that we can then begin to engage with Psalm 40. We're going to begin to ask ourselves, who is the singer of this psalm? And then to ask ourselves a question of how in the world does this psalm fit together? Which really seems like two completely different songs smashed into one. So let's begin with some big picture reflections upon the Psalter that will begin to help us as we narrow in then upon Psalm 40. Now if you were like me as a child... You might have looked at the Psalms and the entire collections as something that's just completely uh, massive and intimidating to you. 150 chapters? What in the world do I do with this? Not only is it 150 chapters, but it's written to the ancient Hebrew people even more distant to us than, for example, Romans or Ephesians. And it's written in poetry. My goodness, this is hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. But if you were something like me, as I would read the Psalms, I decided that what I was going to do was begin to apply each Psalm immediately to myself, and that I am the primary person that the Psalms are speaking about. Well, if you begin to do that, you begin to run into some serious troubles, don't you? As Psalm 1 opens, speaking about a blessedness upon a man who's completely obedient and who keeps the law of God. I tell myself, well, if I keep the law of God, then I'll be blessed. If I don't, then I'll be cursed like the chaff that's blown away by the wind of wrath. That's pretty terrifying. If you have a knowledge of your own sin, if you begin to seek your blessedness by your own works of righteousness, So we have a great problem before us, don't we? How do we read these ancient songs written to the ancient Hebrew people? How do we engage with this massive book and begin to make sense of one particular chapter here within this book? Well, a few things should be noted up front. One, if you were living with an ancient Israel, you would have had thousands of songs. David wrote many. Solomon wrote many. The sons of Asaph wrote many. There were many songs out there. Thousands. We should understand that the book of the Psalms, the Psalter, was finished after the Babylonian exile when God's people came back to the land It was compiled together by someone who was a Moses-like figure, perhaps someone like Ezra, brings these songs together, and here's what he had to do. He had to select some songs. I mentioned there were thousands. He had to select, and he came down with 150. Those 150 were arranged into five books, probably some kind of homage to the five books of Moses. And so then we have five books in the Psalter before us. Psalm 40 comes at the very end of book one. Book one finishes with Psalm 41. Okay. Now, as we begin to narrow in now, 
have these 150 psalms. We begin to think about how this collection of the psalms for these five books, they have a meaning to them. And this meaning is greater than each individual part. So I have one of my uh, former professors would speak about it like a deck of cards. It's not like a deck of cards where you have 150 and you can shuffle them up and rearrange them. That's not what the Psalter's like. Or you could say it's not like having 150 songs on a music rack. The wind comes blowing through, blows them off the music rack, and you just collect them together in any old way, in any old order. That's not how the Psalter works. There is an ordering to them. There is a movement to them. One of the great movements of the Psalter is that movement from lamentation that begins the book of Psalms, approximately the first 17 Psalms, almost entirely lament. To the very close of the Psalter, the last Psalms are called the great Hallel, the great Hallelujah, praise. So a movement from lament to praise. Another thing that characterizes the book of Psalms is that that movement from lament to praise, it hinges around one person. It hinges around the arrival of a king. The Psalter, you could say, has a holy obsession with the covenant that God made with David. It laments because there's no king on the throne. It laments because the land is in ruins and in desolation. It laments because God made a promise to David. And where is your faithfulness, O God, that you promised David so long ago? Where is the king on the throne? It is that question that moves the Psalms forward. It's that question that is then answered with the arrival of a king. Time and time again. In the book of the Psalms, we find our hope in a king. Now, this brings me back then to mention to you why we cannot then begin to read the Psalms as immediately about me. It's a very self-centered way to read a text, isn't it? We're inclined to do so to make sense of the Psalms. But oftentimes, the singer of the Psalms and the person being referred to in the Psalms is not you at all. It is the king. The king is singing. The king is being spoken of. We find that in Psalm 1, for example, who is that blessed man. That blessed man is a male. That blessed man is the one who keeps the law. That blessed man is the one who creates fruitfulness for all his people That blessed man shows up in Psalm 2 as the king seated upon Zion. We have in our text today, Psalm 40. We have a first person singular being used over and over and over. It opens. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me and heard my cry. And it goes on. That first person singular. Who is speaking here? Who should we understand? The heading of the psalm helps us. It's the psalm of David. But as we begin to reflect and think deeply about the meaning of this psalm, we begin to realize 
that someone like Ezra, maybe it was Ezra, collected this after David was long dead. David had been in the grave. When they came back from Babylon, there's nothing but bones left, maybe, in David's grave. Who is this song about? Who is lifted up from Sheol? Who's lifted up from the pit? It's not David. He's still there. Psalm 16 makes that very clear to us. David sung about a resurrection, but it was not about David. So who is this song about? Well, like good Reformed Protestants, we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, don't we? The clearer parts, helping us to understand the less clear parts. And if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, guess what you would find there? That the author to the Hebrews tells us who was speaking this psalm. Jesus Christ. This is his song. These are his words. You could say it was Jesus Christ speaking in advance through David. Jesus Christ singing through the great psalmist of Israel to prepare Israel for his arrival. David functioning like a dress rehearsal of sorts until the great drama of the king of Israel arrives on the scene who is Jesus who comes to be the singer of Psalm 40 and many other psalms within the Psalter. So my first question is that, who is the singer? The answer for us today is the ultimate singer is King Jesus. A second introductory question we should ask ourselves is this. What is the singer's perspective? What's his perspective here? Because as liberal commentators all conclude, this isn't one song. This couldn't possibly be one song. The first half is all about victory. In the first half, the king tells us about his righteousness. In the first half, he tells us about his obedience. In the first half, he says, I kept the law from my heart. In the second half, you have the king talk about sin overwhelming him. Instead of talking about blessing, you have the king in the second part telling us he's under God's wrath. Instead of victory in the first part, in the second part you have suffering, misery, and destruction. So you can see here why it is that the liberal commentators conclude these have to be two different songs. But beloved, if we understand that Jesus Christ is the ultimate singer of this psalm, we begin to make some progress to reconcile these two parts, to understand how righteousness goes with sin in a mysterious way, to understand how his victory and his suffering come together in a most mysterious way, we begin to see what brings the psalm together is nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, we read, Blessed is that man. 
who makes the Lord his trust. That man. Who is that man? That term is not the ordinary term being used for mankind. This is a term that's often employed for a warrior, a champion, a conquering one. Blessed is the champion who emerges from the fray. Blessed is the strong one who has had the victory. Blessed is the conquering king. You could maybe paraphrase it. Not the king who trusts in horses or in the chariots of man. Not the one who trusts in himself. Blessed is that conquering one who trusts in the Lord. Who is our singer. Ultimately, it is the greater David, Jesus Christ. Now, what is perspective? He is singing about his twofold life. His victory and his suffering. His obedience and his bearing our sins. Let's begin with the first half of the psalm now, where we think about his victory. Because the king is singing this song to you today, brothers and sisters, and he's singing the first half of his song to declare to you and to sing to you all about his conquest, all about his victory, all about his success, and you need to hear about it. Because as he says, many will see and hear, sorry, many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. Do you want to trust in the Lord today? Do you want to come before the Lord with a fearful, a reverent trust? Listen to the king's song in the first half of Psalm 40, verses 1 through 8. What we begin to see here in this first half of the psalm, in first, uh, verses 1 through 3, we see the king sing about his resurrection. He sings about his resurrection. Let me read those verses again for us. Verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. This is that term, Sheol within the Hebrew scriptures, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, established my steps. The king sings about how he was once descending to this place of wrath. He sings to you about how he was once destined to forever destruction. Yet, The Lord reached down. The Lord lifted him up. The Lord put his feet upon a rock. And now the king sings to us about his victory. This is not some earthly pits like Joseph went to. This is the pit of judgments from which the Lord has rescued his king. Psalm 40 is here echoing our call to worship that we had earlier from Psalm 30, where David said again, or rather Jesus through David says this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restore me to life from among those who go down to the pits. So what is our king singing for your benefit today, Christian? He is singing to you about his own 
resurrection. He tells you, I am raised. Death has not had the last word. Death has not conquered. I have triumphed. And so we trust in the Lord. The second part of this first half of the psalm, the king sings to us about his sacrifice in verses 6 through 8. He is not in these verses disparaging the animal sacrifices that were required in the Old Testament, but rather he is directing us to himself as a fulfillment of those animal sacrifices. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. We are being led as by the hand from the symbol to the reality. From the animal to the one prefigured by the animal. What did the Lord truly desire? as he gave ancient Israel all that sacrificial system, he desired one that would come to offer himself to the Lord. He desired one who would come to become consecrated to the Lord as a pleasing aromatic sacrifice. And so here in verses 6 through 8, the king sings about his self-sacrifice. Notice why the king's self-sacrifice was so pleasing to the Lord. He says this, My ears you have opened. What does that mean? Now, I'm a parent of small children, and my kids are probably terrorizing another church closer to my home right now. And... Often I need to say to them, Dominic, Cora, Beatrice, listen to me. Because what happens oftentimes? Kids just act like they've got a bunch of concrete in their ears and they don't want to listen. They just ignore you. Happens to me too. Oh yeah. The idea here, because in the Hebrew there is this language of ears you have dug out for me. Ears you've dug out for me. It's like taking a shovel to that ear of concrete and opening it up in order that someone listens. Why? Why is the king's self-sacrifice so pleasing to the Lord? Because he listens to his God in heaven. He has become the obedient one. We see this as well as we read about his heart. The king tells us, he sings to us, that the Lord's law is within his heart. We just read earlier, didn't we, from the catechism, about the kind of good works that we are called to, to trust in the Lord, to then conform ourselves to God's law, and to seek God's glory. And not one of us have done it. But the king has. He sings it to you. He has been raised because he was a self-sacrifice, and because he was a pleasing self-sacrifice to the Lord, he has been raised. 
the purposes of God have been fulfilled in this great and obedient king. Do you hear the good news today? The good news today is that this song is not about you. You probably think it is. You probably think the song is about you, don't you? Don't you? It is not about you. It is about King Jesus, the greater David, the second Adam, the king who has come and offered to his father all of his righteousness that he would be acceptable to God, pleasing to his father to become the resurrected king. Raised from Sheol, seated upon the rock, he is there, conquering one, the victorious one, the mighty warrior. His exaltation encourages your trust. Do not trust yourselves. Hear the sung message of our king in the first half of this psalm. He has done it. And trust in him. Now, the second part of our king's song. He then has a bit of a crunching change of gears because he moves from what is on the surface good news to then begin to sing about good news in verses 9 and 10 that doesn't really look like good news. He begins to sing and declare good news of deliverance and then what does he start to talk about in verses 9 and following? Evils have encompassed me. Innumerable evils have surrounded me. Verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me. Now I see we have a, a few men in this church who don't have a whole lot of hairs on their head. But the king says it's like the hairs number on the head. So don't think about someone who is balding. But think about someone whose head is full of hair like sand on a seashore, like the stars in the heavens. That's how many sins are encompassing the king. What's going on here? In the first part of the psalm, he tells us he was righteous. In the first part of the psalm, he says, my ears were dug out. They were open. I listened. In the first part of the psalm, he says he was pleasing to God. And now the king describes himself as being overwhelmed with a tidal wave. That's how this imagery is working here. Like a great deluge of wrath has come upon him. He talks about his misery and his lowliness. What is going on? Well, I think here's what's going on. What did the king just sing about in verses 6 through 8? His self-sacrifice. He sung about how he was greater than the burnt offering, greater than the sin offering. And so where does he go next in his song? He begins to sing about that offering of himself. He begins to sing about his death for the sake of sinners. How is he righteous and yet have sins more numbered with a greater number than the hairs upon the head? 
because of that great mystery of imputation, beloved. He carried your sins. He owned your misery. All the sins you have committed in your life, past, present, and future, credited to Jesus Christ, he carried them. And so he can say at the exact same time, I am righteous, yet I am counted a sinner. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Behold your king. What brings this psalm together of victory and lowliness, of conquest and of suffering? What brings it together but the person of Jesus Christ? The righteous one, yet numbered with sinners. Hear the good news of which he sings. Hear the good news he proclaims about his sin and his death. Hear the good news he sings about of his enduring the wrath of God. Hear his song, brothers and sisters. He finishes his song with a prayer, does he not? Verses 14 through 17. He begins to sing about some who would despise him and his sacrifice. He begins to sing about those who would say, aha, aha with that scornful derision of laughter that we see around the foot of the cross. And surely we know people in our lives, perhaps our families, our workplaces, who deride Jesus Christ, who laugh at him, who mock him. What is the king praying for? That on that last day, they would face shame and judgment. It will come to those who scorn the king persistently. And so I warn you today, if you are here and you persist in your mockery of Jesus Christ, then at this point in time, Messiah is praying for your ultimate judgment, and it will come upon his return. However, brothers and sisters, do not be afraid this day. If you are hearing his song and you are rejoicing, do not be afraid this day. If you are hearing this message of victory and suffering and you are saying, yes, this is good news. Why? Because the king is praying for you as well. He is praying for your blessing. As we read here. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. And so I ask you, do you hear the song of the king and do you love God's salvation? Do you hear this song even with a weak faith and say, yes, that's my king. Then no matter your sins in this life, 
No matter your weaknesses and struggles, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, then rest assured that the conquering king of Psalm 40, who offered himself as a sacrifice for sinners, he is praying for you this moment. And his father hears him. Because his father is pleased with his self-sacrifice. His father is pleased with that great burnt offering that he made on the cross. And he hears the prayers of your king. So do not tremble this day. Do not be afraid because of your weak prayers. You have one who is praying for you. Do not be afraid because of your sins. Because there's one who carried your sins. Do not be afraid because of your failures in obeying God's law. He obeyed the law for you. Look this day to your resurrected king who sings this glorious message of his righteousness and of his atoning death. And on this day, beloved Christian, rejoice, rest assured, and say continually, the Lord be magnified. Amen.